The views, information, and opinions expressed are those of the featured guests and not those of IG Wealth Management. I'm Manjeet Minhas, one of Canada's top entrepreneurs, and so excited for you to join us today. Through a wealth of women's stories, IG is carving out a space where women's voices are heard. If you're looking for insight and inspiration through powerful storytelling that will resonate with anyone looking for the answers to the questions that we as women ask ourselves, then this series is for you. Welcome. In today's episode, I sit down with Aaron Burry, CEO of Willful, an entrepreneur, speaker, startup advisor, and former technology journalist. Aaron was named one of Bay Street Bulls 2021 Women of the Year and one of Marketing Magazine's Top 30 Under 30. A journalism graduate, Aaron is a former Financial Post columnist and CTV News tech commentator. She has also written for publications such as The Globe and Mail and TechCrunch and has been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, CBC, and the Toronto Star. In her spare time, Erin is the co-founder of the Country Wine Tours, a bicycle tour company, advises multiple startups, serves on the board for Save the Children Canada, and is co-chair of the Tech for Sick Kids initiative for Sick Kids Hospital. Welcome to the podcast, Erin. Thanks, Manjeet. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was a mouthful. You definitely have an amazing, not only uh, resume, but some experience in a variety of fields that are fairly related, but not <laughs> as far as technology, journalism, just a variety of things. And I, I, I would really love in our conversation today to see how it all came together to get you to where you are today and where you're going in the future. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today because it's always interesting to hear about one's journey and one's history history into entrepreneurship. So why don't we start there? Maybe you can tell our listeners about your background, you know, your upbringing um, and where you started. For sure. Well, I uh, I grew up just uh, west of Toronto and I was not a born entrepreneur. So, uh, you know, I have a lot of people in my life who always had businesses on the go from a very young age, always had ideas cycling through their head. I was a bit of the opposite. My parents uh, worked, my dad was a journalist and my mom worked at Nortel as a marketing executive. And so they worked for big corporations and that's the example I had. So my aspiration was to graduate university, get a job in marketing and, you know, maybe one day have that corner office at a Fortune 500 company. And it was really only after graduating from journalism school and uh, getting out into the working world in Toronto that I was introduced to a young entrepreneur named Sarah Prevet, uh, who's a serial entrepreneur. And she hired me as the second employee at her startup. And so uh, my job was really to host events for entrepreneurs, to meet tons of entrepreneurs. And I just fell in love with their stories, with their, wouldn't it be awesome if you know, problem statements. And I just caught the entrepreneurial bug. So even though I wasn't someone who grew up around entrepreneurs or wanting to be a small business owner, uh, now it's the path that I've gone down. And I can't imagine working for that Fortune 500 company that I once aspired to. Well, I love that you say that because I truly do believe that entrepreneurship is about solving people's problems and then hopefully, you know, making a profit at at it too. But initially it starts at solving people's problem. And so I like that that's what really attracted you to um, it to begin with. And so you followed the traditional path, you you know, as far as education, and you then had an idea of what your career wanted to look like, Um, went to university. 
But what really did inspire you to come up and say, I'm going to take this leap of faith, leave my comfort zone, and really dive into the unknown and solve some problems? Yeah, I mean, it all started with a visit to a winery, Manjeet, as all great ideas do. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think before spending time working in the startup space and being around so many entrepreneurs, I viewed problems as exactly that, problems that, you know, other people would solve or that would just exist. And I think the amazing thing about entrepreneurs is that they look at problems as business opportunities, as opportunities to solve that problem for themselves and the other people out there who might experience the same thing. So it was, you know, in Prince Edward County, where I now live full time, a couple of hours, it's a wine region, a couple hours east of Toronto, I was visiting some wineries with some girlfriends. And, you know, we looked around and there was all these stretch limos driving people around to wineries, almost like the stretch limos that you take to prom. And I thought, you know, all the wineries are so close to each other in other places like Napa and Niagara, they have bicycle wine tours. Why are they not doing that here? And the old me probably would have said, you know, when someone starts that, I'll take one of these wine tours. But after being so exposed to entrepreneurship, I looked at my two girlfriends who both had backgrounds in marketing like myself and said, well, we could do this. You know, why Why wouldn't we start a company that does bicycle wine tours? So that was really the first kind of leap into starting my own business. And then, you know, since then have gotten involved in, in more entrepreneurial ventures that started with a similar, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if solving my own problem? Got it. And I feel like, as I tell a lot of people, the key to success is to start before you're ready. And did you feel that you were ready or that you were going to figure it out? Well, I'm sure you get asked all the time to give advice to young entrepreneurs. And I often had you know, peers and mentors giving me the advice to just take a risk, especially when you're young. And at that time, I think I was, you know, in my mid to late 20s, I didn't have a mortgage, I didn't have kids, I didn't really have a lot holding me back from that. And, you know, Today, starting a business, especially leveraging tech tools, is so much more affordable. So yes, we did have to take out a line of credit to get things like bikes because there are physical aspects to a wine tour. But setting up a website, doing all of the online marketing, it was so low barrier to entry. So it really didn't feel like as much of a risk as it may have 20, 30 years ago when everything just cost more and it was a lot harder to reach an audience. So it was easier to take that risk as well because it was a side hustle. It was not, you know, I didn't quit my job. It was always something that we knew would be on the side, uh, outside of our core day to day. And so taking that leap and quitting a full-time job, I think is, is definitely a, a bigger risk and one that I took later on in my career. Yeah, I agree with that. You and I have very similar stories when it comes to that as a side hustle to think that it's a little bit of gravy on top. And uh, I definitely didn't imagine getting to the alcohol business full time either um, and or the risks that it actually took. I didn't think of them as risks because like you, I had no mortgage, no kids, no spouse. Like there wasn't much to put on the line. Other yeah, than why not? Time, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. I think that it, at every stage of life, there are different things that you are risking. And of course, experience and sometimes naivety is good when you're young and and sometimes not. Sometimes you need to go in, you know, with a little bit more experience and knowledge, but um, everybody's uh, story is a little bit different. So after you became a bicycle tour operator, and I assume that did okay? 
Yeah, it's we're celebrating our fifth anniversary. Oh, it's it's definitely not a scaling tech business. You know, my background yep. is as a tech journalist and working in tech marketing. So I always knew that it was just a side project. And my my dad and my stepmom actually run the business full time on the ground. So it's been really nice that it's turned into a bit of a family business as well. And uh, and yeah, it's still that kind of side project. It keeps chugging along even through COVID, and um, you know, it doesn't require too much of my time. So that's been great. Well, yeah, that's fantastic. Good to hear. And so you then took the leap and you were going to start another business. So let's talk a little bit about Willful. This is an interesting endeavor you jumped into because I don't think it's often that young people, uh, pre-marriage, pre-kids, really think about creating a will. In fact, according to a 2019 survey that you actually commissioned by Angus Reid, 57% of Canadians do not have a signed will. That is shocking to me still. So what sparked this interest into this business of um, wills, but also just the idea of going into a tech business? Yeah, well, Manjeet, I, I cannot take credit, mostly because I know my husband will listen to this and will get mad at me if I try to take the credit. <laughs> but it was all my husband, uh, Kevin, his idea. He's one of those born entrepreneurs who has a million ideas floating around at any given time. He used to call me the dream killer because he would constantly come home from his work at a cement plant and tell me these ideas. And I'd say, I was a tech journalist, so I'd say, no, someone's already done that. No, no one will give you money for that. Uh, but it was when his uncle passed away unexpectedly in 2015. Uh, and his family was sitting around debating all of the things that Uncle Dave would have wanted because he hadn't discussed funeral and burial plans. He didn't tell his family where to find important paperwork. And uh, that kind of sparked an idea with Kev that, you know, we were using tools online tools for everything, booking travel, hailing a cab, getting takeout, investing, and yet estate planning was still so paper-based and it was so stigmatized. Everyone does pretty much anything they can to avoid discussing death with their family. So he came to me with this idea of, could we create an online platform that actually makes it easier, that makes it beautiful, user-friendly, uh, and that you know brings that process online for a new generation like us of people who prefer to do things digitally? Uh, and I said, yeah, actually, I'm not going to kill this idea. I think it's a great one. Not the sexiest idea out there, not as sexy as wine, but you know what? I think it's a, a big opportunity. So I was actually running a marketing agency at the time. And, and so I kept doing that. Um, Kev started working on it. And it was about 18 months after launching it that I you know, left that agency and, uh, and joined him full time. And we've been running it together ever since. I wouldn't call you a dream killer. I would call you a truth teller. Everybody needs one of those. I appreciate in their, that. In their, you know, family, friends, colleagues, everybody needs one of those. So you said that, you know, the idea was sparked, but of course you weren't inventing the process as far as what a will was, what an estate plan is. But what did you think was going to be unique in your business compared to all your competitors out there? For sure. I mean, the traditional process of creating a will is very paper-based and very much uh, with a professional. So mm -hmm. traditionally, you've gone to a physical lawyer, you've met in their office, they've run through a bunch of questions with you, and the output of that is a paper document that you can then you know, sign and file away in a filing cabinet and let it gather dust for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Right. Uh, what we really wanted to do was 
bring as much of that online and remove that in-person appointment, the, the cost, the complexity of getting it done. So you can really think about our platform like TurboTax for taxes, right? We kind of simplify it, bring it online, guide you through the process. And really our biggest competitor is that traditional professional. There mm-hmm. aren't that many online entrants in this space. There are in other markets like the US and UK, but in Canada, there are very few folks that we were actually competing with. So we often say that we compete mostly with folks who don't know that you can do right. a will online, that you don't have to visit a lawyer or they don't have to be involved in the process. Of course, you can visit a lawyer. We advocate getting a will. How you choose to do that is up to you. Right. Uh, so for us, it's actually been more about educating Canadians about estate planning, about online wills in general, and creating a bit of a category that really hasn't existed before. Right. So what made you take that leap after 18 months to leave the marketing agency behind and go full time into the willful? Yeah, I mean, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you can appreciate that when you're someone who works your butt off, it's really nice to work your butt off for your own company, not Mm -hmm. somebody else's. And so I think the impetus was, you know, I, I, I wasn't really feeling the challenge anymore after about five years at the agency. We worked with some really amazing clients, a lot of startups, a lot of tech companies like like PayPal. Uh, But I was just looking for the next challenge. And I actually didn't want to go work with Kev because I thought, oh, you know, that's his thing. And uh, I was an advisor and an early investor in the company. But, uh, you know, do I really want to mix our relationship and business? But as I made a list, and if if you've ever looked for job changes, I'm sure many people listening have, you kind of make a list of all the things you're looking for, right? So I wanted a really small team. I wanted an interesting opportunity. I wanted a purpose to feel like I was actually doing something positive that would impact the world um, in a positive way. And as I reviewed the list with Kev, he said, you know, joining Willful is kind of the thing that checks off all of these, these requirements. So it was really after just examining what I wanted out of a next role that it became obvious this was the right choice. And Um, You know, he was actually in the CEO role. So to his credit, I said, I'm only joining if I can be CEO because I have the most operations uh, experience. And so he stepped aside into a different role at the company. I assumed the CEO title. And uh, yeah, that was over three years ago. And so what skill sets did you think that you would be able to bring um, to running the company and being CEO that you were confident in? What skills did you feel that you needed to learn in order to become CEO? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's an investor in New York named Fred Wilson, and he wrote a really great blog post about what every CEO should be focused on. And it's really three things, Uh, you know, making sure that there's money in the bank and that you're funding your mission, uh, making sure that you're hiring and retaining an amazing team and setting the company vision and mission and making sure that everyone's bought into it at any given moment. Uh, So I really saw my role as those three things. And those were all things that I had done at my agency for five years. Um, you know, I had built a team of about 20 people and uh, had 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 experience with the operation side of the business, um, funding and navigating banks and all of that good stuff. Had never raised venture capital, uh, have now. So, of course, happy to speak to that. But I saw myself as having um, a lot of the qualities that I need. The areas where I had gaps, like building a board of directors, raising institutional capital, uh, running a product business instead of a service business, those were all areas I was really excited to learn. So going back to that challenge, 
I knew that it would be uncomfortable, but that I would come out of it at the end with this amazing new set of skills that would really position me for for the future. So uh, it's gone well so far. Got it. And that continuous learning journey that you set out to do and be when you took over as CEO, how have you navigated that with the day-to-day of being a CEO? Well, I think any entrepreneur has to learn, you know, be building the airplane as they're flying it, right? You, you're not going to have all the answers at the beginning. And to me, resourcefulness is one of the, the most important qualities of an entrepreneur. I'm never going to have all the answers, but am I willing to seek them out? Am I willing to spend the time actually trying to find the answers? And so for me, that's been things like reading books, you know, Venture mm-hmm. Deals by Brad Feld is one for anyone who's looking to raise funding. Uh, another book that Brad Feld wrote was about startup boards and how to build a board of directors. Uh, But I also just formed kind of um, a close circle of peers who were going through the same things, Mm. entrepreneurs who had been there, done that, who could offer advice, advisors to Willful and investors who were willing to lend me their time. So just a group of experts in my close circle who I could turn to and and ask, hey, what book should I read? What articles did you find helpful? Can you just tell me how you did it and what I should take away from that? Um, So it wasn't any fancy, you know... MBA or anything like that. It was just kind of learn by doing and learn from other people's experience. And I think that that's really important to know that there were very practical skills at a time when you needed answers to some things and that you weren't and that you still aren't um, feel like you're the smartest person in the room as in I still have a lot to learn. And I think everybody always does. And whether they be from a network uh, that you know that you've chosen or like you say, from other resources. And I love that you say that you have to be resourceful because you never know what challenge is going to be in front of you day to day, week to week when you're being an entrepreneur. So you do have to know where to go get some help in order to get some information to come to a decision because, well, that's your job. So talk to me a little bit about how you and your husband, Kevin, came together to make the decisions of the roles that you would take um, to lead the organization and how the dynamics has worked out working side by side. Like I work with my brother, um, I think very different than working with my, it would be than working with my husband. I'm not sure if we could, uh, but I, I, I do think that there is uh, definitely an interesting conversation to be had to work with your spouse because a lot of people, you know, in a family business work with uh, parents, siblings, spouses, usually, you know, or all of the above. And it is an interesting dynamic for each individual. And they do have to have, as we definitely do, um, our boundaries, but also a, a model that works for them. So what have you guys discovered over the last three years? Yeah, so I think there's two sides to working with a spouse or a family member. Uh, The first is, what are your working styles? And for us, they are very different. I am extremely type A, very organized and efficient and productive. I, As I told you earlier, I am not the ideas person. I am not necessarily going to be the creative one. Uh, and Kevin is totally that person. He's the one who's always saying, what if we did this? And what if we could start that? And he's always thinking, you know, two, five, 10 years ahead. He's not necessarily the most organized person, um, but he's that person who's, you know, kind of the the innovative uh, 
um, dreamer in the business. And I think having those complementary skill sets is really crucial. If, if we both just had the exact same skill set, well, what value does having both of us in the business bring? Absolutely nothing. But what it does mean is that we have had to learn how to work with each other's working styles. So I know that he's not going to be the person that has the you know perfect to-do list and is going to be checking things off in a type A manner. Um, but we've just learned how to respect each other's working styles and to respect what they bring to the business. We also, you know, stay in our lanes. You know, I have a COO, Julia, who's an amazing right-hand woman to me, and we work more closely on finance and operations and HR, and Kevin works more with the product team on things like what Willful could become over the years. The second component to working with a spouse or family member is how does that bleed into our personal life? And I'm sure you know this with your brother. Are you talking about it at every holiday dinner? Are you spending your Saturday evenings discussing it? Uh, so we really had to get on the same page about that. How are we going to make sure that our relationship comes first and foremost and that we set some boundaries around the business? And that's been even more interesting since we just had our first daughter. Um, I took maternity leave for several months. Kevin is now taking parental leave. So it's been even more fun to try to navigate that when one of us is on leave and the other one is is fully in the business. Got it. And that makes sense. It, it's important to be yin and yang, that everybody have uh, different skill sets, but you're still on the same page. And that there is that internal trust to know that what role um, that you are leading, that the other individual trusts you to make those decisions for the company, but for each other also in this case. Uh, and that you guys are both um, recognizing what you're good at. And I think that is sometimes really tough for partners to understand what they're good at uh, and that they should stick maybe to that lane, but also slowly but surely uh, decide to learn the other side of the business also in order to flip roles. So after um, 20 years, my brother and I flipped some roles and it was interesting because it was a whole new company I felt that I was overseeing that I knew existed, but I didn't know the minutiae of it and the day-to-day -day of it because, well, I trusted him to oversee those things. And, and so it's really interesting, I think, uh, that you decide what is comfortable and what you're good at, but then what can you can flex um, your skill set and your muscles and over time to make sure that there is some new life breathed into different parts of the business and your team members. So that's fantastic. shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about wills and their importance. So as I mentioned earlier, you commissioned a survey from Angus Reid in 2019 that found the majority of Canadian adults, 57% to be exact, don't have a signed will. And even more dire, that number jumps to 89% amongst people 34 years old and under. And many do to the belief that they're just too young. And so what are your thoughts on these numbers where you support surprised? And why do you think individuals have this belief that it's not a priority, especially for young people to have a will? Yeah, I'm not surprised about these stats. And, and really, we started doing this research when Kevin had the idea to try to understand, you know, how many people have a will, how many people have life insurance, who's actually thought about what would happen if you were going to pass away. And, and we all are going to at some point, hopefully when we're all very, very old and have lived wonderful lives. But this is an inevitability for Canadians. And right. yet, 
we do pretty much anything we can to get out of thinking about our own mortality. And we know even less about how to plan for it. I don't know about you, but I didn't learn about estate planning in school. It wasn't a topic at the dinner table. So I don't even think I knew until my 30s what a will actually was. So part of it is just, I think, a lack of education about what a will is, what life insurance is, why you might want to plan for these things, and how to go about it. And then the other reason to your point is I think there are some myths, like I don't need a will until I'm old or until I'm rich. And in reality, a will is a document that says who's going to get your assets and who's going to wrap up your estate when you pass away. So it's not just about distributing your assets. You might say, I only have $5 in my bank account. Well, that's fine. But a will also says, here's my executor. Here's the person I'm giving the legal authority to wrap up my life. If you don't have a will, not only is a government formula going to decide who gets your assets, but it's also going to mean that a court has to appoint folks like your executor. So it's just adding that extra hurdle when you pass away. Uh, so I like to think about a will as something you do for your family. It's not for you. It's something you do for your family. And it's also something that you have to do in advance because we don't know the day that we're going to pass away. And so getting it in place as early as possible means that you're ready when and if it happens. Not if it happens, when it happens. When it happens. Agreed. And I think that's an interesting point is that we all know that it's going to happen. Um, and I think that sometimes when it happens to those around us, regardless of their age, we think about it for the moment as in the day or the week. And then everybody wants to forget about it and moves on with life. So funny that you say, I I never, of course, in school learned about anything to do with financing uh, or finances or financial literacy, which included, you know, things such as estate planning and tax planning, which I think should be definitely something everybody learns um, basic in, in school. But one thing why I did, my parents did talk about with my brother and I, when we were very young teenagers, I still remember it. Um, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but I still remember remember sitting on the kitchen table and my parents telling my brother and I that in their will, that if something were to happen to the both of them, that my, um, my mom's brother and his wife would be, um, our guardians. And I remember just my mouth dropping, thinking you people have thought about this. What would ever happen to you? And then I had a lot of questions after that. And so I felt that even before I had kids myself, never mind after my husband and I had kids, that it was something so important and then important to talk about actually with those people. So it was interesting that once we made all of those decisions, I've actually had conversations as uncomfortable as they can be with my brother and my sister-in-laws and my brother-in-laws and you know my parents and my in-laws. We've had conversations because we have seen way too many times in the absence of wills and estate planning the family just implodes because everybody suddenly is saying that I think or I think uh, or I want um, this for them or I think that this was what they wanted. But nobody really knows, like you say, unless it was done and written out on paper and discussed. And yeah. so what do you think that needs to be demystified with some of the misconceptions about having those conversations but also planning for them? Um, and how do you guide uh, people through that process? Because I don't think everybody even knows other than the basics such as who will take care of my kids and who will take my house um, as to what are the, all the questions that need to be answered. 
Yeah, well, I think it's just also demystifying this term estate planning, right? If I say estate planning, what does that actually mean? So the core components of an estate plan that someone should be thinking about are obviously the legal documents. So not just a will that dictates what happens when you pass away, but also power of attorney documents that say it's it's the not fun one to think about. The if I were in a coma, who would actually make decisions for me? But super important. Uh, then an estate plan needs to be fleshed out. The will is just the tip of the iceberg for someone to be able to close up and honor, honor your legacy. So we're think, talking about things like life insurance. Uh, we think about things like a list of your assets. You know, would your family actually know where you bank, which investments you have, if you hold cryptocurrency, mm. if you have any, you know, life insurance policies? A lot of people don't talk about this stuff with their family, let alone their spouses. So uh, at Willful, we guide you through making the legal documents, but we also help you to make an asset list where you can actually list those things out, store it with your will. And we have a notifications feature that allows you to email the key people you've named in their will, your will to let them know, because not everyone is as proactive as you and talks to the guardians they've appointed for their children or pets, the executor they've appointed. Uh, and even if you do have the conversation, when the time comes, a lot of people don't remember, oh, wait, I know Manjeet right. said she had a will. Where was it? Who did she right. create it with? Uh, so we just, we really try to get people to inform the key people in their life to list out all of the breadcrumbs that their executor might need to start to wrap up their life. Uh, we also have a funeral and burial planning tool. So you can say, you know, I want to be cremated or I don't because, you know, Kevin's uncle had never discussed that. So we had to say exactly what you said. I think he would have wanted, but I'm not sure. So again, it's it's about more than just the, the legal side of who gets your assets. It's really what pieces of information would your family actually need when you passed away to make decisions that would make them confident it was what you wanted? And how can we guide people from start to finish to put those decisions in place? Hmm. Yeah. about women and wills in particular. Now more than ever, we're seeing more and more women recognizing that having a will is incredibly important. And now um, women own 36% of small businesses worldwide, and we're seeing that number increase um, definitely year over year. And we're seeing more women become the primary household income earners. And so despite these growing numbers until recently, women have definitely overlooked safeguarding their wealth and assets and protecting their families in the event of the unexpected. So why do you feel that there's hesitation amongst women to um, really create and their approach to having a will? I think there's a few key reasons. Uh, one of the first reasons is uh, a lot of women are not making these decisions alone. They're sitting down with a spouse to create their will, to talk about things like who would the guardians of our children be? And they don't always have buy-in. We hear all the time from women that their spouses are so reticent to discuss this. I don't want to talk about death. Oh, stop bringing that up. And so they just put it off themselves. And so I think it's important to note a will is an individual document. It's like a tax return. So you don't need to wait until your spouse decides that they have their button gear for you to actually get these things done. So it's really about taking charge as an individual to put an estate plan in place, even if your spouse is very reticent. Um, the second thing is I think it's uncomfortable, especially for, for women who are parents, because it's I know for myself, 
now that I've had a child sitting down to think about a world where I'm not around and my husband isn't around who would take care of the kids, that's not something I want to think about, but it's so important. So I think for women, it becomes a very emotional exercise to go through estate planning. And then I think the final reason is a lot of women are just not in charge of the finances in their home. I think the, the the scales are shifting on that. I manage all of the finances in our household, but many women still are not the ones managing the finances. And so estate planning isn't just isn't something that falls under their purview or that they think falls under their area of responsibility. And again, I think I would say uh, it's a very individual thing and you don't need to be an expert in finance or even right. to have a complete picture of your finances to create right. a will. Or all of the answers. I think that's in incredibly important too, that you don't have to have, and I think many women in every instance, not just in this one, um, feel that they have to have all the answers before um, they put two feet in and and do something, um, such as creating a will or, or an estate plan. But you do have to have, it's a starting point. And I think that that um, is really important to say that these are, there's a lot of questions there, but you don't have all, have to have all the answers today. You can have half of them or three quarters of them and then figure out the rest. But it, and, and then I like that you state that it is individual, that it is about you um, and not necessarily about everybody. And that can be in a different document, but it is about you to begin with. Really important. Yeah. And there's, and there's also just one thing I'll mention since we're on an investors group podcast, I think there's also professionals in your life that can help you. So I work with an investors group uh, financial advisor, Scott, and at our first meeting, he had a massive binder with all of these sections for each area of my financial life. And one of those sections was wills and estate planning. And so he asked at our first meeting, do you have a will? Because you know, we spend our entire life, he's going to work with me to make sure I maximize all of my assets. Right. But if I don't pass them on efficiently, what's the point of working my entire life to grow my wealth? So I think there's also, you know, a role that the professionals in your life can play. And certainly, I love that financial advisors are the ones asking mm. their clients, you know, do you have a will and really spurring them and educating them on what's involved in that process. Good point. Good point. So how do you think the pandemic has impacted the need for planning? Well, when COVID hit in March 2020, we saw a 600% increase in website traffic overnight because all of a sudden, this to-do that was sitting on people's lists for one, five, 10 years reminded them, oh my goodness, I don't have a will and people are actually dying. So there was a lot of anxiety in the early days of, of COVID that, um, that I need to get these documents in place. Now, we saw that kind of taper off after that initial rush, but I think what COVID has done is really reminded people that the unexpected can happen anytime, mm -hmm. that it's important to have emergency plans in place, whether that's an emergency fund, life insurance, or a will. Uh, and it's also made people much more willing to talk about it. The media, people at the dinner table, you know, people to their communities on Instagram. And so that's been really heartening for me is to see that it's opened up this conversation about emergency preparedness and planning that I didn't really see uh, prior to COVID. Yeah, definitely brought the issue into focus, which I think is a good thing. And as we've all had time um, to do some research, but then to also sit at home, I guess, and, and think about these things and what matters to us and what the future could or could not be unexpectedly 
um, um, fortunately and unfortunately, I guess, to get uh, people just um, thinking about that. So, because it, it's really interesting to understand, I think, that how the pandemic has affected so many different businesses in different ways, positively, negatively, but also as individuals. And so for yourself, um, over the last two years, what have you learned about yourself over the pandemic? Well, Manjeet, I've learned that I love working from home. Mm. I was never someone, you know, we were very much that typical startup. We had, we signed our own office lease February 1st, 2020. We were so excited to have that in-office experience, drinks on a Friday, you know, just like the movie, The Social Network, without all of the bro culture. (laughs) And then the pandemic hit. And now I, not only do I live in a town of 1600 people um, instead of Toronto, where I lived for over a decade, but I work fully remotely. Our company is fully remote. We have employees across four time zones. So I think I I've learned a lot about uh, how a company can be extremely productive while remote and my own ways of working that are conducive to uh, having a family. You know, now that I have a daughter and I'm balancing parenthood and uh, and running a tech company, it's just so much easier while remote. So that's probably the biggest learning I've had. And then on the business side, the biggest learning I've had is just that, um, you know, that people Uh, need educating about these topics. And my role as a CEO at Willful is as much about educating Canadians about estate planning in general, as it is about hopefully getting them to think our product is the right choice to, to get it done. Got it. You learned the opposite that I learned. I learned that I dislike definitely working from home and I miss people <laughs> and travel. And I, I definitely learned about myself a lot about myself, but maybe it's also the nature of my business. I found uh, definitely a fair bit about the way that I work and what I like and dislike, which is interesting. But that's good to know. Now you know, and now you Great. can tailor your future work to, to best suit that. Agreed. Agreed. So yeah, you know, um, you've given us so many pieces of advice. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about and and provide some pieces of advice for our listeners today? Oh my goodness. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think the biggest takeaways um, that I've always had from uh, podcasts like this have always just been about the value in building a, a strong network. And I think as women, especially building a company, Uh, We need to be thinking about surrounding ourselves with experts and peers uh, from a a practical expertise standpoint, but also just an emotional standpoint. As you well know, entrepreneurship can be a roller coaster. And I always say it's the the only job where you can go from the best day of your life to the worst day of your life in approximately 30 minutes. Uh, So for me, what's been helpful, especially through COVID, is I have a peer group of other female entrepreneurs who are at a similar stage as me. We have breakfast once a month, but we also have a WhatsApp group where we just pose questions, share that we're having a bad or great day, uh, and really are just kind of there for each other emotionally. So I, I think that's my biggest piece of advice to anyone building a business is make sure you have that baked in support system uh, on a daily basis so you don't feel alone. Agreed, because it can be very lonely despite having partners or having, you know, other people work alongside you. But um, you definitely feel often that you're the only one going through X, Y, Z, which isn't always the case. And it's nice to be able to vent and or get ideas and or pick people's brains, which I really love that you did in the beginning. And I like that you continue to do that because I think that we all need to be able to have that outlet, but also to have that support group that we build in 
um, over time and it changes, uh, which is important too, as your needs and your wants change, but it is important to definitely have. And so what's next for you, Erin? What do we, what can we expect from Erin going forward? Yeah, so on the uh, willful side, we are gearing up to launch some some additional products that will help you build a more complete estate plan. Uh, and we are launching some exciting partnerships. So really, just focused on the next phase of growth for the company, from you know fifteen to fifty employees. And then personally, uh, you know, my first summer as a mom. So I'm excited to uh, get out of the house and to spend lots of time at the park and to continue to expand our family. So yeah, it's a, it's going to be hopefully a very exciting next few years. Exciting times ahead, definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today and to give us some insight as to your journey becoming an entrepreneur and all of the lessons uh, that you have taught us about so many things today. I really do appreciate it. And thanks for everyone listening for tuning in today. I encourage you to find the wealth in your own stories. And remember, you can't predict the future, but you can plan for the unexpected. We look forward to having you back for our next episode presented by IG Wealth Management. You can learn more by visiting ig.ca slash women and can also find that link in the description of this episode. Thanks and see you next time. This has been a wealth of women's stories hosted by Manjeet Minhas and presented by IG Wealth Management. The views, information, and opinions expressed are those of the featured guests and not those of IG Wealth Management.